Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. On June 2nd, news leaked out that Bernardo had been quietly transferred three days earlier to the medium-security La Macaza uh, institution about 190 kilometers northwest of Montreal. He was initially an inmate at the Kingston Penitentiary in Ontario and spent about a decade at the Millhaven Institute, a maximum security prison just outside Kingston. The day, listen to this. The day of Bernardo's transfer got out, Mendocino posted a statement on Twitter describing the correctional service's, quote, independent decision, end quote, as, quote, shocking and incomprehensible, end quote. He also said he planned to raise, quote, the transfer decision process, end quote, with Anne Kelly, the commissioner of the Correctional Service Canada, and expected the Correctional Service to take, quote, a victim-centered and trauma-informed approach, end quote, in such cases. So, two weeks later, the Correctional Service revealed it had first told Mendocino's office about the possibility of a transfer in early March. Early March. And then again in late May, after a date for the move had been set, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was briefed on May 29, the day the transfer took place, while Mendicino has said he found out the next day. All right. Somebody's nose is growing larger and larger in Ottawa. Tim Danson is, uh, well, I've known Tim for 35 years. He's a great lawyer. He's an amazing human being. He represents victims' families. He's represented the French and Mahaffey families for 30 years. I'll say it for him. He's never asked for, requested, or billed a dime to the French and Mahaffey families for his legal services. He did the same, well, there was an issue with the Stevenson family inquest. This goes back to the 90s. Christopher was 12 years of age when he was allowed uh, to be abducted by a homicidal pedophile allowed because they let this homicidal pedophile out. And uh, he abducted Christopher, kept him for two days, murdered him. And his parole officer, or at least the supervising officer, was supposed to watch him. During the inquiry, uh, admitted he had no idea what a sociopath was. So the government had said at the time, and I've told you this before, the government said that, uh, oh, government lawyers can represent uh, the Stevenson family and the government, so we're not going not to fund any of the legal expenses for the Stevenson family. The minister came into the studio, Doug Lewis, and took a beating from, not physically, but certainly verbally, from my listeners and me, and changed his mind the next day. Tim Danson, uh, you are, and I mean this sincerely, you are a Canadian hero for what you do. How are you doing on this Sunday in July? Well, I'm up at my cottage, and I'm looking forward to speaking to you, as I always do, and uh, thank you very much for your kindness. Well, you earn everything, Tim, and I mean that in the old-fashioned way. You work for it, and you represent the people who need you. So, here we have, we essentially have, the Commissioner of Correctional Service Canada saying to the Federal Public Safety Minister, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Don't be blaming us when we told you exactly what was going to be happening. How do you interpret what's been going on as far as this is concerned? I, I, you know, it, it's breathtaking, quite frankly. And then we actually learned uh, some additional information last week that the uh, Commissioner uh, of Corrections Canada 
had also um, communicated uh, directly with the deputy minister and the and the deputy associate minister, uh, uh, and they responded uh, and thanked the commissioner for the uh, passing on the information, and and apparently even that information didn't uh, reach the uh, the minister, so. I mean, this 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 absence of communication is is deeply deeply disturbing. Um, I, I like to think that the government is run by the government, not the civil service. Um, I mean, clearly they play a very important role, but the buck stops with the elected officials, and so this is you know you know very disturbing. But at the end of the day, uh, from the perspective of the families, um, they want to see action because the one thing that we can't accept is that when you have the, the minister in charge and you have the prime minister of the country both saying that this decision to transfer Paul Bernardo uh, was, was shocking and, 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 and not defendable, um, different adjectives have been used uh, depending on what the news conference you listen to, but they themselves have, have, have expressed a strong view, and we know the leader of the opposition shares the view, uh, that this is an incomprehensible decision. So. If our elected officials unanimously are saying this is unacceptable, then um, let's do something about it. Talk is cheap. I know we're waiting for an, an outcome of an internal uh, uh, review. Um, I don't have much confidence in that review unless uh, the politicians who are elected uh, directly by the people of Canada uh, direct the commissioner uh, to reverse this decision. And if at the end of the day they say, and I don't accept this, but if they do say that the law uh, does not allow for any other uh, remedy, uh, then change the law when you have unanimity among Parliament itself. Um, but this is not an acceptable explanation. And 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 Roy, you and I have talked about this not just in the context of Bernardo, but in in, in the context of, of 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 many different offenders who have committed uh, heinous acts against innocent children and women. That um, that we you know we 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 when they talk about privacy rights. Um, oh, yeah. The government has an obligation to 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 explain to the people what they're doing, and they're not because they're re they're hiding behind the privacy rights of murderers, which is really breathtaking. Well, it is, and, and you know, I mean, I read you uh, on the air, Tim, the email that I sent to Correctional Service Canada, wanting specifically to know whether Bernardo had been engaged in conjugal visits while in uh, in in uh, Millhaven uh, Prison, and they twisted themselves into verbal knots. Trying not to answer the question. But as we read the responses, I read it to you. It was clear from their discomfort in writing the words they 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 they, they patched together that yeah, Bernardo has been engaged in uh, in in conjugal visits, and they hide behind the privacy. This time they hid behind the privacy rights of the person visiting. Bernardo. So to me, it's like, well, you're admitting it. Come on, just say it. Just tell the truth for crying out loud. I, I mean, I don't understand that uh, this is a public institution, our corrections parole system. It's funded by the taxpayers of Canada. And your listeners and all Canadians have a right to know the basis upon which these decisions are made. How else can the public determine whether their tax dollars are being properly spent? How does the public evaluate uh, the efficacy of, of these important public institutions if everything is done in private? And this has to end. This, 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 this is a pretext when they talk about privacy. 
we have a right to know. Canadians have a constitutional right to know uh, how their public institutions and how their tax dollars are being spent. Yeah. And it is, it's unusual, isn't it? When you look at the bureaucracy of Correctional Service Canada and you have the commissioner, Ann Kelly, does a very nice job, gets a really nice salary, will have a great pension when she walks away. It's unusual for a commissioner of a highly profiled national institution like Correctional Service Canada to react to what the minister is saying and the prime minister is saying, wait a minute, you're not unloading this on me. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that this is this is part of the uh, communication lacuna that is a deeply concerning. But I still raise the question, which I've raised with you before, Roy, which is, yes, she's communicated with the minister's staff, she's communicated with the prime minister's staff, the privy council's staff, and the and the and the and and the bureaucracy and the civil service. Why isn't she? Why didn't she ever pick up the telephone and speak directly? Uh, with the minister. And the other thing that uh, that you raised, uh, uh, Roy, last time we talked, which is the fact that the, the, the commissioner and the minister meet bi-weekly for months and months and months, uh, you know, when this decision was made. How is it possible that these two people could be meeting face to face and it's not being, this isn't being discussed openly, the most, uh, you know, vile and notorious criminal uh, in in Canadian history, probably yeah. uh, that that requires answers, and we're not getting them. They must have been talking about the truckers uh, in Ottawa. That's probably what they were talking about. <laughs> it's disturbing. It's disturbing. But it I, really I, I is. I think, I think you know what, Tim. It's not a stretch to call you on behalf of the families. Let's just call Mr. Danson. Let's call Tim Danson and say to him, "Look, this is what's in the offing." We want you to at least be aware and want you to be able to I, I really believe that you, you should have been able to engage on behalf of the families. And we know what their response would have been. No, because you want them back in maximum security, which is where he belongs. Uh, so so the, they choose the path, always the path of least resistance. Yeah, well, they, they certainly made sure that, that uh, I didn't know about it until after the transfer right. was done, right. the day of the transfer. Uh, so that's uh, that's disturbing. But even when they did reach me um, on, you know, just after the, the transfer had been completed, uh, they still refused to answer any of my questions. The most basic one, which was why, on what basis, what's your criteria? What are the principles and values that guide your judgment? They said, we can't tell you because of Paul Bernardo's privacy rights. Uh, this this is this is so deeply offensive. And as I've said, we do have a case in the federal court, different, slightly different fact situations. Uh, hopefully we'll get some guidance from the federal court, but this is going up to the Supreme Court of Canada for sure, uh, because this is a very important issue that Canadians have a right to be resolved in their favor. Tim, are you, uh, are you anticipating any additional surprises leading to the uh, parole hearing in November? Well, I have some concerns. I'm not sure if, if we'll be surprised or not, but... Um, you know, it, 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 when you start seeing a, a, an offender like Bernardo transferred from maximum security to medium security, uh, one would think that the case management team uh, may be presenting a more um, positive uh, uh, presentation to the parole board to the benefit of, of Paul Bernardo. Uh, you know, we, we don't know. Uh, I mean, certainly a question that I'm going to have is that at our last parole hearing in 2021, the parole board noted properly that um, that there had been no progress with 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 
Paul Bernardo in The Essentials, which is he still exhibited no uh, remorse. Uh, he still had no insight, no empathy. So I'd like to know what happened in the last two years that uh, that that triggered this this uh, this transfer. But um, but we have never uh, taken these parole hearings uh, for granted, and we will be vigilant and we will present uh, the best case possible uh, before the parole board, which we do through the uh, victim impact statements, which. Uh, in the past have been read by um, Donna French and Debbie Mahaffey, and they are very, very powerful um, presentations, and uh, we will do it again in November. So horrific that the families have to go through this and, and confront Bernardo in a parole hearing. What's it like inside a parole hearing? What are the, what, what's the room like? Who sits where and, and what takes place? Well, it happens at the penitentiary in which the offender is situated, and it's a small room. Uh, the parole board members, there's two of them, they sit at a table at the front of the room. Uh, there's another table where Paul Bernardo sits, uh, and, and sometimes with his own counsel. Um, and then we are, the, 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 uh, the victims and myself, uh, are, are sitting uh, right behind Bernardo, um, uh, so that there isn't a face-to-face uh, -face, uh, when the families are reading their statements. Um, but generally, I'm actually to the side of, of Bernardo, and the proximity is very, very close. We're just a couple of feet away uh, from him. And that's, you know, pretty traumatized, uh, uh, very traumatic for the families, but that's those are the circumstances. And then they stand up, and they will read their statements. The parole board will engage in... Uh, uh, in a detailed examination of Bernardo. Bernardo has, you know, not only does he respond, but obviously has a right to speak. Last time, I believe he had a 40-minute presentation, which was Exhibit A, very, very disturbing. And, and uh, you know, and what we've been asking the, the court that we're waiting for a decision on is that uh, the audio recordings of those parole hearings should be released so the public can hear and evaluate uh, for themselves because, um, it's not just what Bernardo says, uh, but it's how he says it, his demeanor, uh, his tone of voice. Uh, he speaks about these offenses like normal people would talk about the weather, and it is bone chilling. And, and, I, and, and it, it's, it's quite limited. In the case of Bernardo, uh, the media was in a different room, much bigger room, uh, and they were zoomed in so they could, they could view it. Uh, but the room itself is quite small. And um, as I say, I think that the public has a right to listen to the audio re recordings themselves. It's a public hearing. The public shouldn't be excluded because of the size and circumstances. Um, and I think they would have a very different view of our corrections parole system. Uh, and I think our corrections parole system would be, would be held much more accountable if they knew that the public at large was able to uh, listen to what's going on in these hearings, like they uh, could in a normal court of law. We might not have these confusing, he said, I sent an email, I sent a text, I talked to you, but you didn't hear me, exchanges. So Bernardo, in the few seconds we have left, he can easily turn around, just turn sideways, look at you, or he could turn around and look at the French and Mahaffey families. Uh, you know, absolutely. And uh, yeah, he, he's, he's told not to do that. Although, because I'm often in, over to the side, um, he and I have made con eye, eye contact, and uh, and that is um, you know chilling, but nothing compared to you know what's burned into my mind, yeah. which is the video tapes themselves. Yeah.
If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.